Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Black People Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dion, and I hope you're doing well. This episode is going to be a little bit different. It's actually going to be more of a bonus episode. During the month of June, we celebrated Juneteenth, of course, and we had our first Black People Parenting Virtual Summit. It was the 2022 Liberty Leadership and Legacy Summit. It went down on June 19th, and we had three exceptional panel discussions with some of the most informed thought leaders on topics that uh, are impacting our communities. The 2022 Liberty Leadership and Legacy Summit went down on June 19th, and we had three exceptional panel discussions with some of the most informed thought leaders on topics that are impacting our communities. So for the next three episodes, we're going to bring you the audio from the summit. This first episode is going to highlight the Liberty Panel, which focused on social issues like voter suppression, reducing rates of recidivism, and the 13th Amendment. Our two panelists, Tallulupe Omakaye and Bernard Gaddis, both have an extensive history of working towards change in their respective communities. Also, on these next few episodes, you won't only hear the voices of myself and Dr. Tiffany Wiggins, but our third partner in the BPP family, Samantha Alexander, who is usually more behind the scenes, she decided to step in in a major way while I was having some technical difficulties. So sit back, relax, enjoy the Liberty panel from our inaugural Juneteenth Summit. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share the podcast, and I'll see you on the other side of this episode. Hello. So we have Ms. Tallulapay. And we have Mr. Bernard here. And um, if you uh, could both just give us a quick, um, but thorough background uh, of what you do and how you um, kind of fell into, because we all kind of fall into our careers, right? So how, how you fell into it. So so to Lil Pay, if you could start with, with that. I will, thank you, good morning. Okay, so um, my name's Tulupe Omokaye. I like to call it my former life. So in my former life, I was a marketing and channel manager for Newell Rubbermaid right out of college. I graduated from the North Carolina Central University. Um, and I was a manager over channels and markets of tools, but then we uh, was promoted and was a channel manager over goody hair products, so like combs, brushes, things like that. Uh, the economy fell apart in about 2009, 2010. I was laid off, like many people at that time, and moved back to North Carolina uh, and went to started to go to Meredith to get my MBA. But while I was at Meredith, uh, Evolve fell into my spirit. Evolve is a nonprofit that I founded in 2011. Uh, and the question of were we prepared for life when we graduated, not just prepared to be trained to do a job, but were we prepared to be well-rounded adults and have life skills and be mentored and things of that nature? And a lot of the benefits that I feel like I, I, I got, you know, growing up once I got here to North Carolina. Um, so we started with college students and our focus was developing life skills because I feel like college students were a forgotten population. And we evolved, no pun intended, <laughs> over time to suit a age group. Um, and then we kind of evolved again. Well, we suit the age group because whether you're aging out of the foster care system or working to get your GED, having life skills may be a bit more of an immediate need for you than somebody who has possibly the bubble of a college. Um, then we shifted again because there's thousands of nonprofits here just in the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area alone. So we wanted to become a vendor to those nonprofits instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. How can we support some of the great work already going on out there? How can we you know, use our stellar program programming to reach a broader audience of youth and young adults while also helping build capacity of other organizations. 
Um, I'm sorry, that's my mascot, my cat, Stokely. <laughs> um, and then now we lead the My Brother and Sisters Keeper Initiative here in Wake County, which is President Barack Obama's initiative to close the achievement gap for boys and young ladies of color. Um, under that banner, we are a community collaborator. We bring a lot of organizations together. We're working to bring the different core competencies of those many organizations that function in the triangle, a lot of which doing a lot of replicated work um, into the space to be able to have a broader community. So that's a kind of our focus now. And that's how I fell into it, for love of my community and wanting to make it better. That's absolutely amazing. Um, that's a very quick, but again, very thorough synopsis of what you do. I'm sure it's a lot more in, in, that it entails, but thank you for that. Mr. Gaddis. Well, um, I started out, I, I felt into my, um, my position um, after, after getting out of college. I went to um, Benedict College, which is one of the greatest colleges in the universe, HBCU all the way live. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took my first job working with the correct Department of Correction back in 1986, working into the recreation department. And this is where they started. They just started building all the brand new prisons in South Carolina back in 1986, and they were placing gems in all the new, in all the new prisons here in South Carolina. So I was the coordinator of one of the prisons called prisons called Libra Correctional Institution. And one of the things they did that they, they put the gems in the prison system, and they call them all gems. And so what happened when guys come into the prison system? All they do is play basketball and sell sell drugs and 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 gamble and do all the kind of things in the gym that they normally do out in the um in their community so what i did um is change the name of my gym to the multi-purpose building i had to go ahead and change something and that was the name of the uh, i changed that name of the multi-purpose building and start certifying a lot of inmates and how to play games you know structurally community and um and, and i found out and i was telling the war and this is back in 1987 where that um i got all the coaches and all the officials certified some of the guys got out of prison and they and and they became professional high school college um um basketball softball baseball officials coming out of prison which made a very good income um during that time in that era and so that was my journey working with um, working with inmates on that part. I had one of the, the top power lifters in the state, actually, this 140-pound still holds the South Carolina US record in power lifting, you know. And so we kind of brought some organization to that 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 era. And I was just a very, very young man then. And then I moved from that era and went into counseling. You know, I, I went into AOD counseling with inmates. And um, after understanding that they didn't have an outlet, as far as men like us, we don't have an outlet. We hold everything on our back, even in prison. And so I got very excited at the counseling part of that and, and, and helping them in transition through a therapeutic community. Then I left that era and started looking at the juveniles, you know, and, and I said, if I can help the kids, if I can keep guys out of jail and help kids keep them from going to jail, then I serve a purpose. And uh, we started a therapeutic community in the Department of Juvenile Justice. Uh, we had 38 of the roughest kids out of the South Carolina that, uh, that we helped for four years. So we stopped feeding them something that was eating and the system didn't like it. <laughs> and, so, and so they got rid of the program 
after four years of running a program with only about six altercations in that unit, they couldn't believe it. And it still was able to find a way to defund the program. And then I started to, you know, I, then um, I left there and went to the Department of Mental Health. Now, this is crazy because all the kids with the same kind of criminal record, right, went to jail. The white kids went to treatment and the black kids went to jail. And then when I found out, it was it was one thing different. Access to counsel. One kid had access to legal counsel and the other kid and the other kid didn't. So what happened, they went the one kid went to treatment, the other kid went to juvenile justice. And so when I got sick of that, then I went into building my own personal fortune. So the last 20 years, I was a little bit self-centered in building my own personal fortune working in the network marketing arena now my our goal was to help 10 mothers in the in the last 10 years earn a six-figure income from home without they can have the money and afford access to legal access to help the kids get out of trouble that's where i'm at right now today now i'm working in transitional federal prisoners out of the community out of the prison system and back into the community cool thank you for um both of those introductions Tulula Fay and mr gaddis so I know y'all probably couldn't hear me when my mic was muted. I was having some technical difficulties, but we are back on track now. And I want to, um, just out of respect for everyone's time, just go ahead and hop into these questions that we have. So this is the the Liberty panel. And I, and I have you two up here to discuss uh, Liberty because you all represent two, two sides of the spectrum that I think are very important uh, as we focus on how to navigate through uh, this new world that we're in, to pay with your mentorship organization uh, Mr. Gaddis, with what you're doing with uh, prisoners and helping to reduce recidivism. The first question that I want to ask you both is, what does liberty mean to you? So, what do you think? How would you define liberty? To me, liberty is freedom. It's the freedom to live the way you want. It's the freedom to have the equity and the space that you have to have ownership to be able to have autonomy over your body. To me, liberty is the ability to be able to be educated and have the ability to be um, self-educated and truly educated, uh, not in a can or without context. Um, so I believe that, that that's liberty to me, the ability to live in a, in, with freedom and maybe in largely freedoms that those that came before us didn't have. Good, good, good. Uh, Mr. Gaddis, what do you think? What's liberty? I, I like that. But, you know, um, me, liberty is meaning that I have an opportunity to grow the talents that God gave me. You know, all of us, I have a, a, a very unique set of skills. And I think um, give me the opportunity to grow those skills without any interruptions. To me, that's what liberty uh, um, feels to me. And also, liberty to me feel that I can tell the truth and not feel threatened. I can challenge a lie and I can tell the truth. You know, um, I, I also like to have the liberty to be able to fail. You know, I, to me, I learn more by failing, failing than I do by winning. And I should have the ability to do that and, um, and, and come back and get better. You know, so I, I think that word liberty is such a, such a broad, such a, a very wide open statement but um, I would just like to have the, the liberty to be, to become better, you know, to have the, the ability to mess up, 
you know, and um, get corrected, <laughs> you know, and um, challenge a lie. You know, I don't care how much it costs me. You know, I would just like to have the ability to do that. I also like liberty to be able to access money from the banks, to be able to grow my own business, you know, without being judged, but based on my ability to get the job done. So that's my um, theory of liberty. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so let me ask this. Um, in, in, in the areas that you both work in, uh, how do you see us as, as black folks, as the black community? How can we collectively achieve that sense of, of liberty that you both reference? How do we get to that point of, of, of achieving liberty for all of us? Or freedom, like Tulupe said, liberty in a, in a sense is freedom. But how do we achieve that? Well, I think um, freedom is a mindset. It's a mindset. First, we have to be free of ourselves. We have to be free in our own on our own mindset. You know, um, we got to be free in our beliefs because I believe um, we all have a roadmap, and that that roadmap is first belief, attitude, actions, results, and lifestyle. And we can never get it out of order. But the problem is that we don't want to work on our beliefs. And our, uh, our philosophy is so distorted. We believe in one thing today and something tomorrow, <laughs> you know? And so um, so this is some of the things that um, I know I deal with constantly um, every day with myself, my grandson, my community, you know, challenge these things and make sure that we can get, make sure we can keep this in front. I had a kid walk, one of my little neighborhood kids just yesterday he was walking past my house, and I noticed him had a um, a bulging coming out of his shirt, and it appeared to be a gun. So I came knocking on my window. My wife, why are you knocking on the window like that? I'm trying to stop this little kid. So he stopped. I said, come here. And I pulled the shirt up, and he had a toy Nerf gun stuffed in his pants. And I pulled it out. It was a pretty. I said, look, you have the right to play with a Nerf gun. However... You can't conceal it. <laughs> Don't you know you can die by the time you get to your house by just concealing that weapon. And it was a toy gun. You know, so again, we have to be very vigilant at what's going on in our community. We can't leave the community because we got educated and make some money. We got to be very vigilant and being able to have what we call um, they training us on fear. Everything about fear. And everybody knows that fear is not real. It's false evidence appears real. So none of it is real. Danger is real. Fear is not. And we have to be enough. We have enough. We got to have enough in ourselves to confront that. Whether it's a kid, pants not down, or whether it's a man slapping his woman around. We got to be able to confront these things truthfully and with love. Yeah, and, and, and Mr. Gaddis, you referenced that, that story, of course, to me, brings back memories of Tamir Rice, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things as Black people parenting that 
you know, I'm adamant about is the fact that we have to um, raise our children differently than other races of people raise their children, right? That's a conversation that, um, you know, a, a, a white neighbor would not have to have with uh, someone in their neighborhood. That's a, a young man in their neighborhood who was white, right? Um, so that, I think that freedom of being able to be, the freedom of just being able to exist and to be a child, right? A lot of times that doesn't exist for us. So Tulumape, I want you to answer that same question, but um, just just put it in, in, in a perspective of uh, the young people that you deal with in terms of mentoring, uh, the young people that you come across. Like how are how are how are we teaching them uh, what freedom is and all of those things that they that they're going to need? Because again, we have to 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 to, to parent and mentor them differently. So I want to answer from both perspectives, like from the perspective of the youth that we serve and a lot of the different work that's being done out 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 there to address and support youth and young adults, but also from the perspective of community and collaboration. So as the youth piece is concerned, um, I believe that we teach our young people liberty by exhibiting it ourselves. Um, as the brother just said, and as, as Nina Simone even said, that freedom is no fear, right? The ability to live fearlessly. And I believe that that's our right. That's a capability that we all have, even though there's things going on out there that are dangerous, as he was saying. So teaching young people by exhibiting that, exhibiting fearlessness, exhibiting the teaching them their rights, teaching them their brilliance, teaching them um, dismantling a lot of the colonizing thoughts that they've been taught about their abilities and who they are and teaching them their history. I believe that is that is extremely important. Young people understanding, our young people, young black children understanding our history, not just starting with slavery, but also understanding our history in the context of how we're all created throughout the diaspora. I think also teaching young people to be able to be advocates for themselves, which is something that we do, which is something that other organizations out there do. Um, making sure that young people know their rights, making sure young people know how policies are made, making sure young people know how they affect them, how those policies affect them as a young person in their community, and making sure they know what they need to do to change those policies. Um, one of the things that we're doing actually next weekend in, uh, at ECU is we're partnered with the North Carolina Native American Youth Council, and we are hosting a youth summit, I mean, a youth, yeah, youth caucus there that we did at NC State a couple months ago. And that's an opportunity to really open young people's, get young people registered to vote for one, Secondly, make sure that we're creating educated voters and not just telling people to register and go vote for a party, but also making sure that young people are knowledgeable. I think that the way to liberty and freedom and the way to teach that in our community is to build knowledge in our community and make sure that people have access in our community. Even if that's just knowledge about how to grow your own garden, if that's knowledge about the background of some of the different candidates that's on the ballots coming up and how those roles like city council, like county commissioners, like the sheriff's department, how those different things actually impact us as individual community owners. Make, I mean, community members, making sure that we understand the things that are important to us and how they actually reflect inside the system. If we're talking about voting and making sure that we're getting people reelected and talking about liberty from that standpoint. I think it's also important for young people as we talk about liberty to understand that we are the employers of these people that we're putting in office. And if we're talking about building equity, it has to kind of start there in some spaces. The other way that we have to do it is on the outside is community. So, well, I want to go back to the youth mentoring piece and just name a couple organizations that I think are doing amazing work. So we have Accelerating Men that is, that's out there doing great work in Raleigh. 
You have Taylor um, Mentoring Leadership Association or group that's out there doing great work in Durham. You have Fannie Lou Hamer Institute. You have SOAR Outreach. You have uh, Young Men for Christ. You have uh, the Gifted Arts. You have uh, uh, Education Justice Alliance and uh, Southern Coalition for Social Justice and Step Up Ministries and Interfaith Food Shuttle and Haven House and The Well and a lot of different organizations. A part of the thing that people don't know is who's out there and what are they doing. Um, and that's one of the things that I want to make sure that we're getting awareness of for parents who want to know where to put their children if they're talking about their, they want their children to have a mentoring program or a youth development program or some sort of leadership development. There are great organizations out there doing that work. And people can visit our website to also see in our directory some other organizations uh, if they're looking for other mentoring programs for their students. From the community aspect, I think we have to do better at coming together if we can have a real conversation around that. Um, there's a lot of divisiveness outside of our community that causes divisiveness inside of our community. It causes petty squabbling. It causes us to argue over semantics. You don't see that in other communities. You don't see in other communities where somebody's pulling something something together for everybody to work to get work together and then there's those people that just want to be like well no because of who's doing it because i'm not in the leadership space to do that thing right we have to be better in our community at things like that we have to be better at supporting one another uh, we have to be better at allowing some of our community we have to be better at understanding that we all have a part to play and it's important to stick to our parts right and i consider it like a symphony so if we're putting this music together, somebody has to be on the sax, somebody has to be on the drums, somebody has to be on the flute, somebody got to be the one that cleans up after us, somebody got to be the one to book the shows, you know what I'm saying? Somebody has to be the maestro at the front of the stage. And, and we're all actually gifted for those roles through the divine and through our training. We're all gifted through those for those specific parts that we're supposed to play. The downside comes in when we have, when we get together to make this music, and somebody likes the way the drum sounds better than their sax, or they're getting attention for the for the cymbals, but I'm over here on the flute. You know what I'm saying? Then we're trying to switch up, but really you're trained to do this other thing. So I think part of what we need to do as a community is, I don't want to simplify by saying form like Voltron, but truthfully, right? The cars that were the trucks that were supposed to be the arms became the arms. They didn't try to be the chest. You know what I'm saying? Like, but they all were a part of the same structure. And I think it's important for us as a community to get away from internal squabbling, to get away from um, any of the divisive measures that's been trained into us and encouraged through, through systemic measures, you know what I'm saying, and through society. Sometimes we have to break out of our habits to say, I'm gonna step aside and actually help this person. I'm gonna reach back and help that person, regardless if I'm the person that people are seeing doing it, there's work to be done. So I think in community, something that we can do is A, do better at coming together, and B, seek to come together and seek to understand each other, seek to build those relationships that we often covet from people outside of our community. But, you know, um, just okay. to ask so let me let me kind of kind of kind of go ahead. Uh, Gattis, go ahead. You know, I was just saying what she was saying that that made so much sense. But right now, you know, um, it's so hard for us to get to those points because we are right now in a crisis. And I cry every night because we are in a we are in a serious crisis. We lose thirty black boys every day to a bullet. Every day, seven days a week, thirty. On a national average, thirty black boys die 
to a bullet. You do the math on that. How, how many deaths is going to have to happen in our community before we can get to the other stuff? We are in a serious crisis that all the other shiny stuff kind of keep us away from it. My my pastor wife just got killed two days ago. A young black guy killed her. And the and the guy who she was helping buy groceries, an older guy she was helping, this young guy broke in his house and they were unloading the the stuff, the groceries. This young man shot her and killed her. Kill her and the older guy she was helping. This is the first lady. Who kills the first lady? <laughs> Who shoots and kills the first lady? So what I'm saying is that we can have a programs, we can do a lot of things, but we are right now in a serious crisis in our neighborhoods. I and, agree with you. And until we, and what I'm saying is that, um, is that this is my number one crisis. Right now, I've stopped everything. My number one crisis right now. This is the number one crisis for me now, not for everybody, but for me. Everything around um, 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 this massive killing of black men, black men killing black men, cops killing black men, right? So I stopped everything to focus on this because this is a, like a trend. Like that young boy was walking around with a toy gun in his pocket and with his shirt over it like a concealed weapon. It's a cancer. And if we don't bring out the root of this cancer, it doesn't matter what you do with the programs that we develop and the, all the organizations that we have, they're all going to die because this one cancer is growing so rapidly in the last 15 or 20 years. You know, and so... I was talking to somebody to say a young man who got I seen a guy who got out of prison, right, and really informed himself. But guess what? Prisons is a part of our community. Mm -hmm. Black community, prisons is a part of our community makeup. Well, guess what? We got to find a way to make that make that something we can benefit from and use because these guys, um, I did an intake of 30 inmates last month. I did 30 intakes. Guess how many of them had a high school diploma? Three. 27 out of 30. Guess what grades they dropped out of? Ninth. All of them dropped out of high school in ninth grade. 27 out of 30 black men graduated high school. So if, if I fell out of high school in the ninth grade, what's my likelihood of going to prison? It's very high. Yeah, right. You know that. Right, you but that's, that. the, that's the point that I'm making. Right. right? But right. we got to get in the system. We got to get in the system of the prison because prison is where we have to transform our black men. Right now, I got a guy who's been in prison for 17 years, and guess what? He got in prison at 21. He's getting out after serving 17 years, and he is more stupider. My grandma says stupider than he was when he first went in prison. That's ridiculous. To put a man away for 17 years and made him more dangerous and more crazier than he was before he went in at 21. But well, we got to find a way to get in intertwined in the system. So let me, let me ask this. Let me let me. Let me I, I have to address that really quickly. 
to my point, that makes that actually proves my point. Right. I think that we have a and both problem in our community. We are survivalists. We yeah. are people who don't think long term. We tend That's to be right. and the system <laughs> is set up for us to be that way. Right. So we can't be like, I agree that the system, the, the, the problem is, is an emergency and it's need, we're in a state of emergency and needs to happen now. But at the same time, we have to walk and chew gum. We can't this, we can't allow the state of emergency to put us in a place where our focus only becomes that. Because just like you said, these young men dropped out of high school in ninth grade. That means we got to get them before they get to prison. That means that we got to start addressing this. In reality, they start making sure in third grade and then retest them in seventh grade right. to test their reading level to determine how many beds they need to build in prison. Right. So all of this does start early in education and with mentoring. So yes, we need to address what's going on on the streets. That's important. It's important because there's a problem already in progress. You get what I'm saying? But we have to stick. We have to cut off the tap somewhere, or else it's going to be always us trying to catch this water and pull it out the um, pull and pour it out the boat. We have to be concerned with the fish that are getting sick and the lake that's getting the fish sick. We have to be willing to focus on, like you said, if this is what's happening and they're sending them to prison and they're not getting any more intelligent, then we got to change the policies that impact the people when they go to prison. We need to change the policies that are sending more and more young black men and boys to prison at such high rates than their counterparts. We have to change the policies that show that white people can commit a crime, but black people are more likely to be arrested by it. We have to change the policies that make police arrest more black people in the area when we are the minority in that area, like in Raleigh, you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, we have to address both of those issues. It can't just be, well, that's part of what I mean when I say we in the community can't be focused on this other stuff, forget the shiny stuff. There'll be people who do what you do, work that you do that's important, that's imperative, that needs to happen, that'll look at other people and say, well, they're doing that, but what I'm really doing is really making an impact, but all of this is making an impact. Because if one organization is working in a silo, they're doing they're doing this. They need to connect to other organizations and start doing this and create a, a chain so that now we're not using as many of our resources because we know there's an equity and funding and resources for people that look like us, for the organizations that we run, for the work that we do, for the people that look like the work that we're doing the work for. Right. Mm-hmm. So then we have to come up with more creative ways. We are a village minded people. Instead of trying to be individualized, we need to come together and say, okay, your mentoring program, you have boys in high school, they have been getting in trouble. How do I connect you to my program where I'm working with men in prison who want to get them on the right path so that I'm stopping these boys from even getting here. And then these men are being able to see the impact that they have in community and kind of change their own life. How are we creating mentoring programs in prison for people who are getting out to help reach back to people that are in there or people who are in there as for long term? to help young people not end up where they are? How do we come up with more innovative and creative solutions to fix the problems that we have in our community while addressing the emergent and immediate needs that we're facing right now? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the so hold, on, hold on, Mr. Gattis, hold on, Mr. Gattis, because we, we're, we're running out of time. So I want to get another question in um, before we end in the next few moments. So I want to ask, what can we do um, what, what needs to be done to ensure that individuals leaving incarceration um, have everything that they need when they come home? And also, what can we do to be sure that they are safe while they're in prison? Well, if, if you look at the prison industry, it's one of the most profitable industries in the United States. They make a lot of money off of, off of MA. South Carolina, this is where I live in South Carolina, we have we have about roughly nineteen thousand inmates 
we got about 19,000, close to 20,000 inmates in South Carolina. With, um, with, and we have 20 prisons. So that means we are housing about 1,000 thousand inmates per prison. 66% of those guys are black males, right? And they got the money to put in programs, but they don't use them. I've worked in the industry for 15 years, and I've seen some guys who was able to navigate through those systems and got great at, you know, benefits for those systems and came out great. I mean, educated, went back in the workforce. Some of them went back to school. You know, so it's a system. It's, it, it, it's set up there, but they know that these guys not gonna um, not going to um, navigate through. So we need a, a person within the prison not uh, a staff, a prison, prisoners who, who went through the system to get back in the system and help navigate these young boys um, through, this, um, through this prison system. So when they transition out of the system, they could be back productive in the community. And what the young lady was saying about the children, my wife and I, we always agree, don't teach a child about sex after you start having it. <laughs> it's too late. You lost them. You know, I'm gonna train a kid. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach a uh, child about a gun after he didn't shot at a couple people. He is gone. I have lost that child. So we gotta train our kids from ages five, six. You know, uh, very very young. We gotta grab our kids about guns. Right now, we have an uh, organization where we are training, um, eight, um, training kids this summer on um, gun safety. We're not running away from guns. We run into all the fear. They say, don't run away from the fear. You run towards the fear. Are you all are teaching kids how to shoot and everything? We're we teaching them about safety, what a gun is, what it does, you know, what a bullet. What happens when a bullet hits somebody? You know, we, our kids don't know. We have kids shooting at kids, and they never shot a gun. They just shoot. They don't know. And it sounds good. It feels good. It give them that power. So we are trying to train them about what a gun is at an early age. White kids do that all the time. I, say, I, I advocate for teaching black kids about guns. Yes. About I think that the piece is teaching respect. Yes. And like teach them how to proper properly handle a gun. I believe that black people have always had a necessity to own guns. I believe that that's our right. I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. I think we see a lot of white kids managing guns and shooting, and that's normalized. But when we see a gun in a black kid's hand, it's instantly it's criminalized. So I think that it's important for us to make sure that we're also teaching our young people how to protect themselves, their right. home, and their community. Because like you said, unfortunately, but I don't want to make it make light of the situation, but if, if the first lady or that gentleman she was helping possibly had a gun, when that person ran up on them, no, I'm not advocating but I think it's important for us to protect ourselves. Yeah, but see, it's two issues here. It's nothing he could do about that. My, my uh, somebody could be in my house when I walk home. My wife and both and I can get killed. Ain't nothing I can do about that because you can't have no reaction over that. <laughs> you know, like um, Pastor uh, First Lady Brown and that old guy she was helping. They just didn't have no clue. You know what I'm saying? So that's another issue going on with the young man who shot them. That's what's something going on with him. So ain't nothing you can do about that. But I'm saying with some of the things that's going on in our community, like we got 
we got our kids, our young kids who, um, and then we got our teenagers and we have our adults. So if you look at these 17, 18, 20 year olds, they are, uh, they're killing each other massively. They're going to jail. That's no doubt. The system already know that. So what do they do well, when they get to jail? It's what counts. It's what they do when they get there. You know what I'm saying? So we got to start getting into policy. That's where it come back to our legislation, setting policy. No, you're not getting out of prison without a high school diploma. You can stay here the rest of your life. That's a part of your parole condition. You have to. <laughs> it's not up for debate. <laughs> you know? So, so these it, kind of things can't be up for debate. You see what I'm saying? And, and so these are the things that we need to do. They need counseling, mental health counseling. You know they get no mental health counseling in prison? What the heck? <laughs> so if we, if we could, let's 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 put a pin and, and, and kind of button this up a little bit in All terms right. of liberty because we want to move on to the to the next panel. Um, so I, I think number one, thank you both for being a part of this panel. This was a great discussion. Uh, and and just briefly, if you could tell me, both of you, what do we need to do uh, to move beyond just having a discussion and move into a phase of action? and finding the freedom right because that's what the liberty panel is, is about is how can we find the freedoms that we um as black folks need to obtain if, if, if you can give me one thing that we need to do in in, in five words or less because we run out of time um where what, what what's the strategy to find that freedom in five words or less <laughs> i think that's the problem right there i'm sure <laughs> I think that we need to be, I think, first of all, we have to learn to love each other again and trust each other again as community. I think that's important. I think that we need to then support those doing the work, be it by volunteering or by giving our time, talent or treasure to the work being done. Um, uh, no matter the size, organizations need volunteers. I think it's important for everyone. If you have a young person around you in your community or in your home or in your church that you reach to be a personal mentor, to stop them from getting to the next step and get out of our own. Um, a lot of people say, well, I have you know a lot going on in my own house or I'm not perfect or something like that. And those are the people that our young people need to see, not people who are pretending to be perfect. Um, I ultimately honestly believe that our community needs a, we need a true community centered 501c4. And that's an organization that focuses on being able to lobby politicians, raise money for politicians, uh, uh, de donate money to the candidates that they wanna support create our own ballots to go to the mail, I mean, to go to the the, the, the ballot box, um, temporary ballots and things like that. I believe that the power that black folks need, the political power that we need is not in necessary an elected seat, but in a unified community. All right, cool. That was way more than five words, but thank, thank you to Lula Pay. All right, Mr. Gaddis, let's, let's give it a shot. Five words or less. Well, five words, health insurance, health insurance, life insurance legal insurance take care of the neighbor to the left and take care of the neighbor to the right okay all right cool well thank you guys for both being here um it's been a pleasure having this conversation uh social media so we'll pay, tell them how to follow you tell them what your social media is and mr gaddis if you have any social media uh that you would like to shout out do that do that also yes you can follow us by looking up evolve mentoring 
Um, we lead, like I said, the My Brother's Keeper or, M or Sisters of my MBSK Wake Initiative. You can find me on Instagram at Tallulapay. I am Tallulapay O or with Evolve Mentoring at Evolve underscore MBSK Wake. Thank and you, our website, evolvementoring.org. Okay. And Tallulapay will be back for the next panel also. Uh, Mr. Gaddis. Well, you can find me at 904. <laughs> phone number is 803-342. Call me okay. anytime. Stop okay. by for a cup of coffee. You can find right, me cool. anytime. <laughs> so there you have it. The Liberty Panel from our inaugural Juneteenth Summit. Special thanks to our panelists, Lulape Omokaye, as well as Mr. Bernard Gaddis for sharing so much knowledge and shedding so much light uh, on the things that we can do to find the liberty and the freedom that we as black folks have been fighting and searching for for so long. And shout out to you for checking out the episode. So make sure you like, subscribe, download, share it with all your friends, let everybody know what the podcast is and how they can listen to it. Next episode is going to be the leadership panel from our Juneteenth Summit. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Make sure you lock in and we'll see you next time. Peace.